Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. We are in the middle of our series in Colossians, um, and if you have a Bible with you this morning, or there's one sitting close to you, if you want to um, turn to Colossians five or 3, verse 5 to 11, and that is page number 818 in the Black Bibles. Um, if you are watching or along at home or catching up at another time, we are doing communion this morning. You will have received this lovely little cup as you walked in. If you didn't get one, the welcome team will give you one at the end. Guys, this is how COVID changed us. <laughs> this is our lovely breaking of the bread, this little, this little wafer and this little cup of uh, grape juice. So we are going to be sharing that together. But if you are at home and you do want to participate in communion, can I encourage you to go get some bread and some wine or some juice so you can participate with us in that. Don't let that be something that we just do here in the room so you can come and be a part of that. But let's read the scriptures together. It's Colossians 3, verse 5 to <clears throat> 11. <clears throat> Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. I have read the wrong scripture. (laughs) And not one of you stopped me, and I look like a fool. (laughs) Well caught. I was reading it, and I was like, I definitely didn't write about this. I've forgotten about you. (laughs) Part of scripture. Anyway, anyway. Colossians 3 verse 5 to 11 says, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new, the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is the word of the Lord for which we are so thankful. Let's pray together before we start. Jesus, we thank you that uh, your scripture is a light onto our path. And Father, we pray today as we take time to open this together and to listen to your word, that your voice would be louder than any in this room, that your presence would come and make a home in our lives and that we would discover together as the church and as the kingdom that we are made in your image and that we get to bear that into this world. And that is a gift that you give freely and abundantly. And so we receive that right now. And we pray that your word would come and make a home in our lives. Amen. John Ortberg says, anytime you see life flourishing, it is because it is receiving nourishment from outside of itself. What do you do to nourish your life so that it can thrive? Whenever we had Ezra, I remember hearing the same statement over and over again. The days are long, but the years are short. And if you speak to any parent who has adult children or young people who have just gone off to uni, or if you're like Andy, you've just dropped them off and you have a wee cry in the car, 
you will know that the same sentiment is true. Any time there is a new stage of life, this is what they will say. The days are long, but the years are short. I actually bumped into um, a lady in our community in Spruceville yesterday, because um, that's what you do in Northern Ireland. Whenever it's raining, everyone goes to Spruceville to do something. You get free parking. There's so much to do. We all queue in these ridiculous lines to get to McDonald's. And so that, that is what that is said, that the days are long and the years are short. And every day, myself and Pete provide an environment for Ezra to flourish, to learn, and to grow. We provide him with the necessary foods, sleep, toys, and relationships that are safe and spaces for him to thrive. But mostly what I do as a parent is I provide snacks all the time. I feel like that's all you do whenever you have children. You just provide snacks all the time at any point of the day. And Ezra is flourishing, not because I'm giving myself a pat on the back, but because he receives nourishment from outside of himself to do so. That he is provided with the right environments to become the person that he is born to be. And you might be wondering why I'm saying this. Just because I love Ezra and I will talk about him all the time. <laughs> Just kidding. It's because today's text is all about new creation and how we encourage or discourage new creation in our lives. And one of the lessons that Paul is teasing out here is that the surrounding environments that you find yourself in are forming who you are becoming. And the sense of new creation must be stronger than the the poles of our earthly natures. How are you nourishing your life with Jesus? And how is Jesus forming you? To repeat something that Andy said last week, your attention is the most sought after commodity in the modern world right now. People spend millions of pounds learning how to do it better and our attention then in return makes them even more. Your attention is so sought after. And we are bombarded every day with stuff vying for our attention. And Paul's letter to the Colossians is challenging the church on who they are becoming, what is forming your life, and who is forming your life. A few weeks ago, when Hannah was talking in this uh, series, she talked about how the culture at the time was at war with competing gods. There were gods for everything, gods for happiness, gods for money, gods for security, gods for everything. And so that's why Paul is saying for there not to be idolatry. He's saying put this God to be the one true God at the very center of your life. And whenever you do that, your worship and devotion and your new creation will come into being. Here Paul is saying, you have this beautiful new opportunity to be a new creation. New creation means that you get to participate in a divine life. And Paul is giving them the instruction that Jesus offers you a new way of living, a new way of interacting with the world. And the purpose of this new life is so that the world can see that God is good. And that as we are formed into the likeness of our creator, as it says into the text, as it says in the text, into the image of him, that the world benefits from this. You'll remember in Genesis 1, whenever God made humanity, he made us in his image. That was his one, that was his uh, original idea, his original plan is that we would be made in the image of his likeness. And it's in that place where we are in deep connection with him, deep connection with ourselves and deep connection with other people. 
But then sin happened and there was a chasm and a detachment from all of those parts of relationship. And then this in the Bible, so we have Genesis, our perfect creation, the new creation made in this image. And the whole way throughout the scripture, it's trying to get us back to that. And in the New Testament, Jesus allows us a pathway to be reformed by our true creator. And where, the, and where we are in the world with this chasm and this detachment from a relationship, Jesus then made a way for us to be renewed in that. That in a world filled with pain and with sorrow, Jesus offers himself as the antidote. We are offered a new kind of living, one that is hopeful, one that is forgiving, one that is filled with the power of heaven. You see, the kingdom of God is alive within us. For us to participate in this, we must be formed by Jesus for Jesus. Paul is pointing out to the church that when you allow yourself to be formed by the prevailing culture around us, you will become angry, you will become filled with evil desires, you will become greedy, you will struggle with whatever your old nature leads your actions to. New creation is not protecting you from the world, but it is giving you the tools to walk in the world, in the light of heaven. What you are given your attention to will also determine the person you are becoming. And the work of who you are becoming has been an issue all throughout the ages. Even when we look at our culture now, we have podcasts and TV shows and books and audiobooks, self-help stuff, content after content on Instagram, on TikTok of who are you becoming? Here's three ways that you can become a better person. You can become better. And there's so much stuff. We are saturated with this new industry of the sense of self. Yet the Bible says whenever you take your new creation so that you can be an expression of love and generosity in the world, that whenever you find yourself with who Jesus created you to be, it's not for selfish gain. It is for the world. It's an expression of who Jesus is. The church has such a unique and beautiful position right now where we have this culture that is constantly trying to find people, you know, who are you, you do you, look after yourself. Whenever you find all the things that you want, you can make more money, do more stuff, be more fulfilled. Then why is it that we have a whole culture that is just filled with emptiness and with isolation and with nothing? And here we are in this place where Jesus offers life and identity and family. We have this incredible position right now where we actually have the power of heaven and the source of Jesus to say, if you are lost and empty and alone, then I have all the things that can help you there. Identity has been an issue all throughout the ages. Even in the Old Testament, Moses was instructed by God to lead his people out of slavery and into freedom. And if you don't know this story, if you're new to church or new to faith, Moses was a man who God chose to be his voice in this section of the Old Testament. He was to deliver God's people to freedom because God cared and loved the Israelites and he desired that their lives would know freedom and would know abundance. 
So this next few verses that I'm going to speak of is from the middle of the story, so I'm taking it out of the context. And they're walking through the desert. So um, Moses has taken the people out of Egypt, the people being the people who are enslaved. He's taken them out of Egypt, and they have to walk through the desert to get to the promised land. So it wasn't that God is just going to free them, and that was that story over, job done. It's that they actually had to walk to where they were going. And they had to take a longer route than expected. So they could have taken a shorter route, but they had to take a longer route. And this is the part of the story where they are at. So we are in Exodus 14, verse 10 to 13. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? That bit really stung me. You know, Moses, did you bring us here because there's not enough space to bury our bodies? That is so intense. <laughs> I don't mean that as a joke. It really is quite intense. <laughs> Someone make a joke. It's too serious. <laughs> what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. I love this part because deliverance wasn't just, you know, oh, you'll just not be around them. He was saying, you will actually never be bothered by your enemy ever again, ever again. The deliverance was that sure. It was that concrete. It wasn't like a maybe you might see them walking up the street. It was you will never see them ever again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Whenever I was writing this talk this week, that very, very last line, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still is a really popular piece of scripture. But I really, really felt that it was for someone in the room that I think whatever your process and whatever you're working through, whatever you're journeying or fighting, I think you've kind of lost hope and you feel a bit disappointed. And I think I just want to say that God is fighting for you even if you feel like he is distant. And he wants you to go to him with your disappointment. So if you're fighting a battle and you're like, I feel like I'm all alone, I want to say right now that Jesus is not he is with you, he, you're not alone, that he is with you in everything that you're doing. Everything. So fear taught them that slavery was better than their freedom. That moment when they were saying, why have you brought us here, Moses? Like, this is just awful. We can see our enemy on our feet. They're coming after us. I really don't feel like this is the land of milk and honey. I really don't feel like this is abundance. I really don't feel like this is freedom. We go through life living in fear, and we forget that God is a God of care and that he wants to deliver us, that he wants you to know freedom and abundance. And what was happening here with, with, the, with um, the Israelites was all they knew was slavery. So they had been enslaved, their ancestors had been enslaved. That was all they knew. So their whole mentality was slavery. They had no idea how to operate out of, out of a new identity of freedom. So whenever they seen this happening, they were like, there's no way that he's going to deliver us. There's no way that he's going to do good things for us because we're slaves. You see, old life is easier than new life. 
because I am comfortable here, I know how it works, I know how, how I feel, I know how others feel towards me. It's easier for me to live in my anger, it's easier for me to live in my jealousy, in my regret, in my bitterness, in my pride, in my sadness, and in my pain, because I know how to operate from here. It's easier. And for a lot of us, familiar pain is better than unfamiliar freedom. The sense of the unknown is just too much. The work and the journey and the effort that it takes is a deep work, and I can tell you, it can be really hard. That line, for a lot of us, familiar pain is better than unfamiliar freedom. The first years that we did Compass, I don't know how many years ago that was, Andy said that line, familiar pain is better than unfamiliar freedom. And that has been one of my markers for new creation, where I want to say, actually, I want to know familiar freedom. I want to know that more in my life than the familiarity of my pain. And that is years. That it will just constantly be in my life. And maybe you feel like the Israelites. Maybe you feel weighed down with the disappointment of the process. God's promise to the Israelites was freedom and goodness, and he delivered them from slavery. Just to let you know, if you haven't read that, he actually did deliver them from slavery. <laughs> Just you're like, what happened? He delivered them from slavery, and they got to live in this new land, and where they had to figure out their new identity, and they had to live into that. And there's probably so much more in that story. But Jesus, or God in this story, did what he said that he would do, and he will do that now today with you. Yet they had to make the effort. They had to trust the process. And, we, and when we choose to live in, into our destructive nature, natures, we miss out on the abundance and the goodness of God. His desire is that we would become like him in the image of the creator. We were, we were initially born into his image, and that is his perfect relationship with us. Then he returns, he comes back, he lays his love, and he sets out this new pathway for us to do this. And Paul is now saying to the church as a reminder, this is who you are because we so frequently forget. In the same way that the Israelites had to make the journey, it's the same in Colossians and it's the same for us today. The Israelites had to make the effort. They had to walk around the long way. They had to trust the process. And then Paul in Colossians, he uses these three statements. You must put to death, you must also rid yourselves, and you must take off your old nature. These three statements are personal actions. Just like the Israelites, this new life is initiated by us, but it is fulfilled by God. There is a part of this new life that requires action from each and every single one of us. We are called to take action for this new life. That's a really grandiose kind of term. Like when we read the Bible, you're like, oh, new life, yeah, of course I want that. How do I get that? How do I do that, you know? And whenever I was, uh, this week, whenever I was thinking about this, there was three things in which I think that we can do to seek new life. 
and to be a part of that, to live with that within Jesus. And the first one is to seek solitude. If I had been really, really organized, I would have had a lovely PowerPoint, but I was not that organized. The first one is to seek solitude. In a world that is vying for our constant attention, being a person who knows how to switch off from noise and give your undivided attention to Jesus will be your greatest challenge. It is difficult to become more like Jesus without spending time in his presence. There is no spiritual development without spiritual reflection. Henry Nouwen says this better than what I could, so I'm gonna read it. It's a bit of a long quote, so I do apologize. We are encouraged not to give long quotes, but this was a really good one, so I just thought that I would. Um, And he says this, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled into the illusions of the false self. Jesus himself entered into the furnace and there he was tempted with three compulsions of the world to be relevant, to be spectacular, and to be powerful. And see, when we look at our culture, that is what it wants to tell you. You can be spectacular, you can be powerful, you can be um, relevant, and that is really what our culture are seeking after. And by our culture, these three markers means that you have made it. Means that you have made it. You have landed on your feet. But in this place, where Jesus goes for solitude, God affirms that he is the only true source of identity. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Solitude is the place of our greatest struggle and the greatest encounter. The struggle against the compulsions of the false self and the encounter with the loving God who offers himself as the substance of the new self. Really what Henry Nouwen has done here is that he has just reworded that that whenever you go to Jesus, that you will be formed into the image of the creator as the substance of the new self. God is the substance of our new selves. And I'll say that again, there is no spiritual development without spiritual reflection. Seek solitude. And the second one is to pray often. When we turn to the source of all creation and love, you will find new paths of life and encouragement. I am, um, I don't know about you, but sometimes whenever I'm trying to make a really, really hard decision, I'll think that prayer is like talking to another Christian or another person, a trusted safe space where I'm like, what do you think I should do? And so I asked that question to the safe people in my life, and I would really encourage you to do that. I think it's a very, very good way of coming to a good decision. But prayer is not that. Prayer is also not just constantly thinking in the car with maybe some worship music on of like, what should I do? And filling your own mind with your own answers. That's also not prayer. I'm, not, I'm actually not saying this to tell everyone off. This is actually what I do. So this week I've had to make a, a really difficult decision. And um, I was talking about it with Peyton. He was like, have you prayed about it? I was like, yeah, of course I prayed about it. And then I thought about it. I was like, actually, have I prayed about it? Have I done that? I've done all these things. I have asked people in my life. I have spent time thinking about it. I've come to my own conclusions. And so the other morning as a real gift to us, Ezra woke up at three o'clock in the morning. Just a real gift, so lovely. And he went back to sleep after about 30 seconds, which was so nice, but I did not. And I couldn't get back to sleep, so I I went downstairs at about four o'clock in the morning and there was just total silence. And I just sat at the table, I turned on the light and I just sat there and I thought, well, if I'm awake, I may as well think about it. And then that thing that Pete said, have you actually prayed about it? And so I sat there and I said, God, 
would you come and just fill my home with your presence and fill my mind with clarity? And as I sat there for 45 minutes, longing to sleep, but not, <laughs> Jesus just filled my mind with clarity and I knew exactly what I should do. I knew exactly what I should do. So pray often, whatever often looks like for you. It's not like pray one to three times a day. Pray often. If you need to pray every 10 minutes because you're struggling with something or you don't know, that's what you should do. That is what often is. To pray often. Don't just come to your own conclusions. The other thing about praying is this, is that sometimes whenever we act out of the compulsion of our old natures. In the first service, I got a word for um, someone struggling with alcohol. I'm gonna put it out here again as well because I had a really strong sense of it whenever I was writing this talk that if you, at the end of a good day, wanna celebrate with a drink, or at the end of a bad day, wanna console yourself with a drink, or at the end of a really numb day, wanna numb yourself with a drink, that's whenever you need to go to Jesus. And I'm saying that because not as judgment, not as ridicule, not to call you out because that is not the nature of Jesus and that's not the nature of this church, but as an invitation between you and God to go to him and say, I am really struggling. Our compulsion is that whenever we do something out of our selfish or our own self natures is that we think actually we should go and retreat. And in our shame, we'll go and hide and we'll not tell anyone, we'll be secretive about it and we'll not wanna talk to anyone about it. But actually what the Bible says is, is that is the moment that you go. That's the moment where you go to God. That's the moment where you go into his presence because we are constantly, as just human beings, we are constantly pushing past this tension that God's love is unconditional. We believe somewhere in our heart of hearts, in our minds, that his love is conditional, but actually it's unconditional. There is nothing you can do to step out of his grace, that he actually wants you to come into his presence whenever you operate out of your old self. Someone at the end of the first service came and said that I could tell this story. And he said he's been struggling with alcoholism for such a long time. And he has been afraid of it, but last night he was sitting watching a movie, his kids were in bed, and he said, I really wanted to drink. I really, really wanted to drink. And all week I was like, what's happening? Why do you keep bringing me back to this? And he said, it was just a reminder this morning that I'm, I'm really trying to be my new self. And I'm not saying that because he actually said to me, if you want to tell that story, you can. As it just as a, an encouragement to him, like that is incredible. It is such a hard thing to deny our old natures and to walk into our new creation. And as he was talking to me, he was reciting scripture. I'm like, you spend time in solitude. You spend time in his presence and I can feel it from him. His presence offers forgiveness and his conversation offers peace. And that is the truth. Practice solitude and pray often. The third one is to practice new life. What Andy was saying last week, I also want to say that sometimes my talks are not just all the things that Andy have said sometime in my life. <laughs> but they're so good, why not repeat them? Um, what he was, Andy was talking about last night about training versus trying, I, I really, really love that analogy of doing that. And um, 
Ezra has learned to walk in the last few weeks, which is really fun. And he has all these like different modes of transport to help him learn how to walk. So he has like this little walker that he can be put into, and then he uses his wee legs. And then he has one where he pushes it around. He has one that he can sit on. He has all these different pieces of equipment to help him learn how to walk. And a couple of weeks ago, he, um, he goes to one end of the kitchen and our house, like you go through the kitchen, right, like the very back of the house is the kitchen and then into the living room. And he will go from the very back of the kitchen and the first week he could only really walk to the door in the kitchen and then he would kind of just meander there a wee bit. And then the second week he would walk the whole way from the kitchen right into the living room, right to the sofa that's at the wall and then like ram the walker into the sofa to be like, I can't get past. So then we would have to go and we would have to turn it and he'd be like, thanks. And he would go back and he would walk and then he would go to the kitchen. And then the week after he realized he could walk and he could actually turn himself. He didn't get really frustrated at the sofa. He was kind of like looking at you being like, oh, why is this wall here? Because it's the house and that's the way that they work. <laughs> and um, then he... He learned how to do that, and he would just go back and forth and back and forth. And me and Pete were laughing one day because we got home from somewhere, and it was like he came into the kitchen, and he picked up his walker, and he was like, right, it's time to train and learn how to walk. And he did it every day. And then last week or two weeks ago, he just got up himself, and he just walked across the living room. And we were like, yay, well done, Ezra. And he clapped himself. He was like, yeah, I did it. That was all me. All me, guys. I did it. It was great. You see, whenever we were all children, every, when we were all children, we all had to learn how to walk, we all had to learn how to move, we all had to learn how to talk, we all had to learn how to eat. And it's now just second nature to do things as a, as a human being. It's now just second nature because you had to train and you had to learn how to do that for it to become that way of life. You had to learn how to do that because someone provided the environments for you to grow, to learn, and to be nourished into the human being that you are. So those are the three ways. Can I invite the band to come up? The three ways in which you can walk into new life. Practice new life. What is your new life? One of the things that I was this week when I was praying about what, what I was saying is that I just kept having this like reoccurring thing of like, if your old nature is to kind of have like this undertone of rage, and not like rage when you think of something like, I'm so raging all the time. Just like you're just generally quite cross. Like you're, you just get kind of annoyed by people. People really stress you out. You get really fed up all the time. Is that sometimes in that undertone of rage, we forget actually what God wants to do in your new nature. And I just kept thinking, what if all of that rage was taken and it was thrown into your new self? And you became like an activist for righteousness and for justice. And you needed to have that type of personality to be able to go in grace and to walk out and to fight for freedom, to have that kind of personality. Because whenever God gives us a new nature, he's not just going to turn us all into the same person. He's actually taken who you are designed to be and allowing it to flourish into this world. So how can we allow our heavenly nature to come and dwell in our hearts? What does that mean? Maybe you were hurt by family years ago and you've never really sought forgiveness or healing. Maybe, as I said, you have that undertone of anger in your life and 
people and relationships cause you friction and stress, and it's just like this constant reoccurring thing where you feel like you're always talking to people about friction. Maybe you're really jealous. Maybe you look at somebody else's life and you think, oh, they have really nice clothes or a really nice car. They seem to have it all together. Maybe jealousy is your stumbling block in your life and in your work. Maybe you struggle with self-control. And whatever the, the vice is in your life that is making you struggle with that, whether it be alcohol or whatever it is in your life, maybe that lack of self-control is causing you breakdown in your life. The one thing that I can say from working in ministry and having the absolute privilege of your trust is that I know that each and every single one of us are journeying something. Each and every single person in this room is walking a path that they find hard. Now, don't get me wrong, there is joy in people's lives, but I can assure you that every single person in this room is walking something that is difficult or something that they are trying to find life in. So where do you receive nourishment in your life? What is forming you? You see, what has your attention is forming who you are becoming. So this morning, as we focus our attention for these next few minutes on Jesus, and as we sing, and as we allow the presence of Jesus to fill our hearts and our minds, my prayer is that you would choose to be in this moment. As we engage in this ancient practice that Jesus gave us to align our attention with him, as we remember what he did for us, that whatever your brokenness and however that brokenness is filling your life, Jesus came to heal and restore you and forgive you. You are loved by the creator of heaven and he desires that you would be formed into the likeness of him, that you would bear his image, that you would set aside the old practices and walk in to the new. If that statement is true of what John Ortberg said about where you see life flourishing, it's because it was receiving outside nourishment. The same can be said kind of in reverse, that you can be allowing your life to be formed by really unhelpful practices. Is what you're feeding your life with nourishing? Is it helpful? Is it Christ-centered? Is it forming you into a better person? And my question is, if you don't know what is forming you, that's also just as dangerous because you're being formed into something that you actually have no idea about. Seek solitude, pray often, and practice new life. We're gonna take communion now, and if this is one of your first times taking communion, we say that if you wanna take communion, as long as you're on a journey towards Jesus, then you can come and sit at this table. I am gonna suggest that we all awkwardly open these little things together at one time, because they're a bit awkward. There is a wafer at the top, and then there is some grape juice at the bottom. So together as a community, 
we're gonna do this ancient practice which allows us to align our attention to Jesus. I'm gonna read the scripture that Jesus gave us and we're gonna take communion together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and when he was given and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this and whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we take a moment to allow your spirit to come and dwell within our hearts. We thank you that you do not cast us away in your brokenness, yet call us closer. You long for us to come to you, to be healed from the powers and the darkness of this world. Jesus, we thank you that your spirit is available and it is healing us. And as we take time this morning to offer ourselves to you, we offer to you and that we would be renewed, that we would be restored and that we would be transformed. Father, allow us to take off our old nature and step into a keen awareness of heaven and the opportunity to inhabit spaces with your power and your love. So we're gonna take a moment to practice solitude and to invite Jesus into our hearts and say, Jesus, would you come and would you align my attention and devotion to you? give us a keen awareness not only of ourselves but to one another that as we are all making steps towards healing and transformation that we would be a source of life and encouragement to each other and so we pray for our brother and sister to our right and to our left behind us and in front of us father would you renew them would you restore them and would you transform them? Come and fill this community with your spirit. Father, give us the ability to recognize what is our old nature and what is our new creation. As we go on this journey individually and corporately, would you just gently show us areas of our lives that need to be healed and transformed? 
where we are lacking awareness of that father would you come and gently just point it out and say see here this is where I want you to have new creation I want your pride to be healed I want your bitterness to be gone I want your unforgiveness to be a source of peace and of grace in your life so father as we each take time this week to think about who you are May our solitude be often, may our prayers be often, and would you help us walk in the new light of our creation. And that starts now. We are going to worship together. And if you want to take a moment to worship alone, then please do so. If you want to sit and let this music just fall over you as you continue to think about Jesus, to love him and to speak to him, then please do that. If whenever we were praying for one another, you got a word for someone or you feel led to go and pray for them, can I encourage you to go and do that? We are a community of people who loves to love each other. If you just want to stand and declare these words in his goodness, then can I encourage you to do that? So however you feel like you want to worship in this last song, please feel very at home to do that.